Show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I am your host, Nick. And I'm your co-host, Ariel Frame. And today we are here with Shaoshen Zhang, who is from the Department of Geology and Planetary Science. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Western? Um, you're a second year master's student, correct? Yes. Uh, so I study uh, geology and I focus on the lunar geology and uh, specifically I focus on uh, lunar regolith which well um, for people not in the field they used to usually say lunar soil and uh, my interest eventually is to work with uh, like how to use lunar regolith and turn them into construction materials so we can build lunar bases, lunar houses, hotels, roads using um, local uh, materials. Okay, this is super cool because I'm a huge science fiction fan. And <laughs> whenever you read any science fiction book that, take, that takes place on the moon, they always talk about regolith. Um, like it's like the word that pops out like every word. Um, so I'm really excited about this episode. And what you're doing is like very sci-fi like. Um, so tell me what, what it is exactly about regolith that's so special. Well, regolith is, it's everywhere. And um, it has, well, depending on the locations on the moon, you can have uh, different mineralogical compositions. And uh, um, if you go to the poles, you might even find some ice mixed with the regolith over there. So um, really, depending on where you go and why you are going to each location, you can pretty much use the regolith at that location and process them into things that are going to be useful for humans. Um, uh, if, if someone had to ask you, you know, what's the difference? Like we, we make stuff out of soil on, on earth and isn't, isn't it the same here? Like, well, what's the uh, major barrier on using the regolith that's different from the resources that we have here on, on earth? Um, so, well, on the moon, uh, it, it's harder to work with regolith because the, the, the gravity there is much lower. Uh, so if you just start shoveling regolith, you might have them flying everywhere, right? You don't want that to happen. And you want, like, uh, like when they are flying, they might block your, uh, your vision and uh, they are actually pretty harmful stuff. And uh, um, if they get into your uh, spacesuits, it really is not good for your health. So, and, um, but then it's, it's there, which means we don't have to bring the material from Earth to, um, to the moon because that's going to cost you a lot of money. Even though we have uh, reusable rockets now, it's still going to be very expensive. So using local resources or what we say like in-situ resource utilization is, uh, is going to be a very economic solution for uh, prolonged uh, human exploration missions. And tell me exactly what this is made of. Like, what is what is the material comprised of? Uh, it's so this goes back to the history of the moon, and uh, so there are three, or maybe four, major mineral groups: uh, olivine, pyroxene, and uh, uh, feldspars. And also, there is like a, a minor kind of uh, mineral group called creep because K for potassium, uh, R-E-E -E for, um, so K-R-E-E-P-E, R-E-E -E is rare earth elements and uh, P 
is phosphorus, and they are concentrated at some um, areas on the moon. And uh, it's so when you're looking at the moon, you see dark spots and uh, whiter areas. So the, the darker spots are called lunar maria, mari for uh, maria is the plural form, and mari is the singular form. And uh, those are stuff from like lower um, crust or even upper mantle of the moon. And they were formed because of uh, volcanism or maybe in the past when the moon just got formed, there were like a lot of huge asteroids or other impactors just smashing into the moon and eventually extract those deeper materials out. And then when you say regolith, it actually doesn't mean like the soil or dusty part. If you find a, a boulder or rock on the moon, those are also categorized broadly as regolith, right? So um, it's just the whatever is on the surface of the moon got broken down by uh, multiple, more than multiple endless impacting events and uh, uh, space weathering like solar uh, radiation and broken them down and it's just w whatever is, is, is on the lunar surface. Now, one thing comes to mind is that like when I'm, when I'm imagining sci-fi, I'm imagining also like bubbles where we where we have to put um, oxygen so if, if someone wants to live there for any period of time we're gonna have to be able to breathe there so you've got this bubble and then also in these sci-fi movies they they always have like somehow gravity in this area <laughs> like the, the gravity is stronger is uh are people thinking when, when they're wanting to think of ways to use this regolith uh to build and you said there there's an issue that the gravity when you if you pick it up, it might float around and damage equipment and damage people. Mm -hmm. um, is there some effort or would it be a good idea to like create this bubble? Is that unrealistic? Create gravity somewhere, more gravity somewhere so that you could then build or they just, you know, we got to build regardless of the gravity issue. I don't think that artificial gravity um, would be possible in that way, but uh, um, I think uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people are designing uh, robots uh, mm. to send them first and to you know help with building whatever we need landing pads and uh, maybe simple roads and uh, lunar bases so we don't have to exactly use humans to do all that work mm. yeah um, but uh, or what was your question again <laughs> I guess it, I guess it wasn't quite a narrow question it was more saying like those that might say uh, you know um, don't worry about that about that issue of the gravity thing because we'll deal with it later by just adding gravity. <laughs> Is that even a realistic thing? But it seems uh, like the thing. It's not. <laughs> I don't think so. I've seen like. What what sounds more possible to me is uh, you know like some people say they they could create uh, artificial gravity on uh, a, a space station for example if you just like rotate them and somehow creates uh, artificial gravity and not make you dizzy, um, but on the moon I don't think so. Um, but a fun fact is that um, there has been some um, areas with a, a gravity anomaly so. Um, in general, like on average, the lunar gravity is one-sixth of uh, the Earth, but uh, some past missions, like if NASA's GRAIL mission, have found these mass uh, concentrations or mass cons, and at those mass cons, they find the, um, the gravity a little bit heavier, uh, higher there. So uh, that's a really interesting 
um, uh, phenomenon to me and I want to know more what happened. Why like is, is something crashed into there to make that area more denser because that's what's related to gravity, right? So uh, it's really interesting. But artificial gravity wise, I don't think so. I hope people can make it real, but uh, we'll see. You know, I'm just looking at your background there and I see that you have a couple of posters of the Earth. <laughs> yeah. So what is the reason why we want to go to the moon and we want to set up a colony there? Um, so a lot of, there could be because humanity is like, we, we like adventure. That's in our, that's just in our character. We keep exploring the frontiers, the impossible, the impossibles, and uh, we keep learning, you know, so, um, space exploration basically because the universe is full of unknown and that's what makes it so exciting and you know like a lot of small children um and i guess when you were younger um as well like when we were children i think a lot of us were interested in space because space just um what's the word stimulates your curiosity and uh i think it's it's just it's just really exciting to 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 get out there and uh uh, and see what kind of environment that our planet is situated in. Um, but uh, in another kind of more sad kind of uh, uh, way of thinking is, um, you know how dinosaurs went extinct? They didn't have a space agency. <laughs> um, we are like, because, you know, in the early, early ages of the solar system, um, impact events were really common, but even now it's still really common and we never know if something could happen to us in the near future or in the longer future. So being prepared is always uh, uh, just, just a good option, I guess. Yeah, but this doesn't mean we are actively abandoning Earth. Um, we want to still protect the environment here, and we uh, we just want to, you know, go a little bit further and make traveling more exciting. Mm -hmm. um, that's really interesting. Um, I think like space is so cool, even as an adult. So I'm really yeah, and I'm so excited. There's sort of a renewal in space interest. Um, I want to go back to the regolith for a minute. Um, you said that there's a variety of kinds, you know, on the moon, and that is sort of a broad term. And you're focused on making an artificial version of it. So how do you choose what kind to make? And, and what's your process like? So, uh, first of all, there's already like three dozens or even more than that made uh, across the world and uh, what so I've been studying some of them in the past few years as well and uh, so I just said on the moon uh, the three major mineral groups are olivine, uh, pyroxene, and plagiocase feldspar and we can find all of them on earth because the moon uh, so far it's widely believed that it's formed from a giant crash um, of something as Mars, uh, as, as big as Mars crashing into early Earth and the um, debris kind of just like um, rotated together and form our moon. So that's why there's a compositional similarity between the two bodies. So we can find uh, rocks and minerals of similar composition here on Earth. Um, for example, the darker spots on the moon, the lunar Maria, 
Um, we uh, usually, if people want to make something artificial that simulates the uh, material found in Luna Maria, they go to find a volcanic field and just sample some volcanic ash and scoria, those kind of things, and uh, just process them into, just crush them, for example, into fine particles. And uh, that's one of the most common ways to create a simulant. And same for the plagioclase, which is the, um, the most abundant uh, uh, mineral group on the uh, lighter shaded areas on the moon. So you can all find like similar things on, on Earth uh, mineralogically. So um, finding the right composition, whatever you want, and just process them is the most common uh, way of creating the simulants. So are you, are you working on improving people's um, way? I mean, it sounds like you're saying this is how people do it. Are you, are you doing, is your research furthering people's uh, efforts in, in simulating this better? And how, how so? Uh, in a way, yes, because uh, the lunar regolith, uh, so from now when I say lunar regolith, I mean the whatever what people usually refer to as lunar soil, like the finer particles. Um, so they are extremely complicated, actually, even though there is the mineralogical similarity, but because of the, um, the cosmic rays and the solar winds implanting and then all of the uh, impact events happen in the past, the, a lot of like material, uh, mechanical properties, for example, um, are different from what you just crash, uh, crush the, uh, the rocks from Earth and you get it from. Um, so uh, why we create simulants in the first place is we want to test uh, technologies that we want to use on the moon. So for example, if you want to send a new lunar rover, you want to test if this wheel can um, stand the regolith there, or if you want to say in my case, if I want to build a house on the moon, I want to test if, um, if whatever like my technology could work with lunar regolith, but we don't have enough of that on earth. We have maybe 400, not really 400 kilograms returned from Apollo program. And so that's why we're creating artificial ones on, 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 on earth. But um, because the lunar regolith, like the actual lunar regolith is so complicated, it's really difficult to simulate um, multiple properties. And sometimes it's easier that you're focusing on just, for example, the particle uh, sizes and sometimes maybe uh, the density, but maybe you're ignoring the mineralogy or maybe you're ignoring the, uh, some other geotechnical properties. So that can make uh, your production of simulants a little bit easier. But if you test your technology using these simulants, you might uh, find your results not so accurate, right? So, and then if you design your technology according to these results, um, maybe they are not going to function very well when you're actually going to the moon. So um, in, in a way I did, like in my previous um, thesis, I did compare several types of simulants and say, uh, uh, because a lot of people probably are not aware how different simulants can be. So I kind of made a, a comparison be like, hey, look at type A, and this is better for these kind of tests and type B is good for a few other kind of tests. And if you're using the wrong ones, you can um, 
make bigger mistakes in the future. So in a way, I uh, and then for for now, I am still investigating a few other properties that are usually ignored or maybe difficult to create, um, and see if uh, ignoring these properties could make an impact in your test as well. Can you tell us what those properties are? Those new ones that you're looking at. Um. So. I, one of them is not quite new, but it's about uh, the mineralogy. Um, a lot of people focus on just the chemistry, like if they find enough like chemical element compositions in the uh, simulants, uh, they might think it's enough. But a lot of times, be, mineral like minerals are, uh, you know, like chemical elements like atoms um, um, lining up in different shapes. And then they could con control many other types of properties. So if you're not, if you're just focusing on the chemistry, but not the mineralogy, you could get inaccurate results as well. And uh, another thing is about impact, because uh, as I said, the moon received um, a lot of uh, impact events throughout its entire history. And that could make the, the particles um, deform so they might be more fragile and uh, maybe chemically also got altered as well. And this part is something I'm really struggling to find information about, but I guess that's why we do science. We find a curiosity and if we don't have information, then we find, find out ourselves, right? So um, I want to see if uh, uh, impact events could have altered the some opportunity uh, properties on lunar regolith as well. Is it possible that uh, if we go to the moon and we we bring some of our own uh, compounds, minerals, something to like to mix in with the regolith there that may help it uh, be more usable? Is that, is that something anyone <laughs> uh, thought of? This reminded me a recent study got published, I forgot, maybe around the end of March or something. Uh, but so a lot of people are thinking about uh, 3D printing. Uh, to combine, uh, I'm not sure exactly like how, but they want to use 3D printing robots to, and then combine with regolith to make durable materials. And uh, <laughs> one uh, interesting study uh, found out that uh, uh, if we send humans to the moon, and we can probably use urine to, um, yeah, to, like human urine, I'm not kidding, to uh, help with the 3D printing because uh, like in, in urine, like the most abundant um, compound is water. And then the second most abundant is uh, urea. And urea apparently is, uh, um, is found to uh, break down hydrogen bonds easier. And that could uh, kind of dilute the, uh, the 3D printing material and uh, uh, yeah, otherwise you need a lot of water and you can't find a lot of water on the moon, right? So uh, this, uh, I, I don't know how exactly they plan to uh, put this into real applications, but it's, it's a really interesting example of how we can, yes, bring something from earth and uh, use it on the moon. Well, I mean, it seems like there's, <laughs> many exciting avenues in uh, lunar research. And, uh, this is yes. just an example of one of them. Yeah. Um, so one thing comes to mind, you know, how did you said that, you know, everyone as a kid was interested in space. 
Um, I don't actually remember being so particularly fascinated with space myself, but I've always been fond of science fiction, and you can't yeah. have too many science, too much science fiction without space uh, involved. Uh, what got you first interested in uh, this space sort of thing uh, in a research capacity, and you know, what was your path in getting to, to where you are at Western? Um, uh, this is a long story. Um, back in uh, university, like my undergrad, I did uh, geology at Waterloo. And um, at that time, I was not really uh, interested in finding a job in that industry, because I think a lot of people might think about, you know, mining companies or oil and gas. And to me, that's not, that's not something I really particularly uh, wanted to do. And, uh, but I did have a, a general interest in space since I was little. I remember I was probably in, in, in the kindergarten and my mom drew me kind of a little diagram about the solar system. I'm like, wow, interesting. Um, and so after graduating from uh, undergrad, I went to work in Japan for uh, two and a half years. And it was during that time I, uh, I got hooked with this anime slash manga uh, called Space Brothers. And um, I recommend that to you as well if you don't know it. And um, it's about um, it's about astronauts really. It's uh, but it's uh, got supported from JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency, and uh, maybe some something from NASA as well because a lot of the content is real. It's true. So that is uh, something that got me really interested in the space sector in general. And um, so I wanted to uh, kind of change my career path because at that time I was working in Japan as an educator. And also that uh, experience kind of made me feel how important education is. So I decided to go back to school and um, I found the International Space University. And, uh, you know, I was really interested to learning more about the space sector and uh, frankly, at that time, when I even got into ISU, I didn't know what I want to do in space later. I just wanted to know I want to be in this sector, but what exactly can I do in space? I didn't know. And it was during that year, uh, my first year there, I, uh, we had to do, like each of the students had to do individual research projects. And um, there was like a list of topics ready for us. And there's one of them, um, forgot the exact um, title, but it's something like the primary locations of interest on the moon um, for future lunar settlement. So I decided to take that one and I just did a lot of research and uh, eventually that got me realized that uh, we, uh, I didn't know, but we are studying the geology of other planetary bodies already. So, and then because I do have a background in geology, I decided to then study lunar geology and I wanted to come back to Canada um, eventually, right? So I did some searches about planetary science in Canada and found Western and, uh, and I'm here. Nice, you came back, came back home after all. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, surely you, you haven't you didn't leave the manga behind. <laughs> no, I uh, I went to Japan earlier this year as well, and I even bought some of the newest issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
it's, it's a really good one. <laughs> cool. And so now you've been at Western for two years. And, um, yeah. And how are you enjoying your experience here so far? Uh, the, I think it's, it's really exciting because uh, uh, we just started the Institute for Space, Earth and Space That's Exploration right. last year. And so that means there's going to be a lot more opportunities and maybe more labs, more instruments for us to, to, to use in the future. So um, uh, it's, I think it's kind of like witnessing a little child growing up, right? So um, I, and I, I love the people that I met here. They are uh, really helpful for me. Uh, the, the, the topics of my research are kind of not being focused right now at Western, but I think it is in the plan, uh, space resources, for example. So I do look forward to uh, seeing more, uh, uh, we'll get more involved with uh, other researchers in the future or, uh, uh, yeah, just seeing Western grow in the planetary science researches. Um, we're running out of time here, but I have one more question. Uh, mm -hmm. I was sort of wondering what your future plans are after you're done at Western. Well, I do want to do research. Mm -hmm. uh, I like finding an issue and find out how to solve the issue. And um, so uh, right now, I, I do want to stay in Canada as well because I want to help with Canada's uh, space, uh, space sector to grow. And uh, I just want to maybe explore more opportunities and see how I can apply my um, skills in the research field somewhere in Canada in the future. Um, if, uh, if people were really interested in what they heard today about your work and they wanted to find out more about you, could, is there somewhere online, social media-wise, that they can, uh, they can find you? Uh, sure. So. Uh, a fun fact is during the lockdown, um, I finally started something I wanted to do for a long time. I launched my personal YouTube channel. Um, it is going to be a personal channel, but I do want to dedicate uh, a lot of content in space outreach. I want to communicate about what exciting things are happening in the space uh, sector or across the world. So uh, maybe check that out. and. Uh, um, I want, I hope, I hope, uh, uh, I hope I can get more people engaged in this uh, sector in the future as well. Um, just where, where do they, oh, sorry, they I, search for yeah, that? I, uh, so the channel name is Xiao Chen, like my, my first name, Xiao Chen to the moon. And um, I guess I can send you the link as well. So you can put it on um, somewhere in the yes, description. We'll, we'll definitely have the link provided below. Yeah. Uh, so people can click on it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Xiao Chen, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And thank you for being here with us on our virtual Gradcast chat. Thank you for having me. And this has been Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Nick, and my co-host was Ariel today. And Ariel also produced the show today. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can also follow us on our Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Broadcast Radio. To listen to us, we're on the radio at CHRW 94.9 FM. You can find all our old episodes at our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. 
We also have some podcast videos on our YouTube channel at Gradcast Radio. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you.